1: Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. Today on the show, we have Justin Gooden as our guest. Justin, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing great, Dante. Thanks for having me. Of course. We had a little technical difficulties, but we got it figured out and we're here and we're uh, making things happen. So if you want to go ahead and take a few minutes to introduce yourself to our audience, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm Justin Gooden. I'm located in Indianapolis, Indiana. I started uh, multi started investing in multifamily properties a couple of years ago, and I started going down the traditional route. I think like most people do, and um, you know, going to college, getting a job right out of college. Um, but while I was going through business school, actually, I kind of was, you know, um, thinking about like really what I wanted to do and kind of navigating through some different you know passive investing opportunities, and I kind of stumbled upon. The stock market was doing some things with, you know, day trading, swing trading, and just like really hated just how volatile and unpredictable it was. And like I was saying, I was looking for something passive and that definitely was not, you know, passive. It was a, you know, pretty much daily thing you had to keep up on, but um, stumbled upon bigger pockets. And my dad is an entrepreneur. He owns his own business and he owns a a duplex. And I always remember the one thing he said was that he wished he would have bought more when he was younger and the duplex was, you know, the best investment he's ever had in his life. So at the time, you know, I thought rich, I thought rich people like only invested in real estate and someone like me just starting out um, just wasn't cut out for that. But after, you know, navigating through bigger pockets and um, you know, just doing my research on there, I figured out that I wanted to be in real estate. And one thing I give myself credit for is that, you know, I didn't spend too much time doing the whole, you know, analysis paralysis thing and, Figured out what I wanted to do. So I just kind of went out and did some simple calculations and bought a single family house. Um, So that's been an amazing investment. And I still own that today. And pretty much right after buying that single family house, I was pretty much addicted to real estate. Um, The investor I bought it from was actually liquidating all of his single family homes and going into apartments is what he told me. So at the time I was like, wow, I mean, that's amazing. How's like, you know, an average guy like this going to go out and buy apartments. And a couple months later, um, I stumbled upon Michael Blanc's Financial Freedom with Apartment Investing book. And a lot of people kind of talk about, you know, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's the book that kind of changed their life. But uh, the book that kind of just opened my perspective and changed my whole life was reading Michael Blanc's book and, um, you know, going bigger, faster, using other people's money, to, you know, take down these larger assets, having a team behind you. And so that was a couple of years ago and, you know, just been doing everything everything I can to be successful in real estate as far as, you know, networking with other great investors like yourself, Um, you know, educating myself, listening to podcasts, reading every book I can get my hands on and hiring mentors. I think hiring mentors has really accelerated my growth. And um, as far as like my goals and what I'm looking to do is I'm really interested in, assets here in Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and also looking at North Carolina also. So as you know, like we're in a, we're in a crazy market right now and have been for the past couple of years. So it's just been um, it's been a grind and been a really tough to find deals that pencil out in this market. But I was able to um, partner with some other individuals on a 236 unit in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, actually closed that last month and really happy to be a part of that. Had a great team behind me to help with that. And that's uh, the first of many. So on to the next one.
1: Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I mean, kind of like going back and touching on everything you just rolled off there. You know, I think a lot of people start in that passive realm. They start with like stocks and like swing trading, day trading, trying to figure it out. And it's so emotional. It's so crazy. And there's like the ups, downs and how volatile it is. It is pretty nuts. And so You know, I'm not a big stock person, but of course, you know, just to diversify my portfolio, you know, Roth IRA, just regular brokerage account, or when I have funds just kind of sitting ready for the next project, instead of having it sitting in my checking account, I'll put in like some like mutual funds or ETFs that are just really diversified. So it doesn't take that volatility, you know, straight to the face, even though a lot of the stock markets correlated together when, you know, when one thing's up, everything's up when one thing's down, everything's down, but, you know, try to spread it out to make it a little better. Uh, And then getting started in the single family space. Yeah. I mean, that's the mindset people usually have is, you know, they start a little smaller instead of going bigger. How many deals have you done? Was it like just that one or a few before you stepped up to this 236 unit, you just closed on with your uh, group there?
0: Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that, but I mean, exactly to your point, you know, when it's kind of our mindset when we're starting out in anything, right. Is to be, you know, conservative, safe. So when you think about getting into real estate, you're like, you know, the first thing you think of is, okay, I'll buy a single family or, uh, you know, I'll flip a house. So that's kind of just our our mindset starting out. And, you know, that's just kind of how we're trained here. But, you know, like when I was starting out, I had no idea that, you know, with a a lot of persistence and education and partners, you could take down something uh, a lot, a lot bigger. But I mean, yeah, like you were saying, um, the single family house was the first investment that I had. And, you know, I started going down the route of looking at some other, you know, duplexes and, and fourplexes and s- some smaller multifamilies. Um, but yeah, I didn't pull the trigger on anything. And like I mentioned, we're in a super competitive hot market now. Yep. Um, so I went straight from that single family house to um, partnering and closing on that 236 unit.
1: I, mean, I think that's great because some for myself, you know, I only did a few, a few buildings too. I did three deals, I think, until I got into the large multifamily space because it was just like, you learn. You know, you start to get these first few or, you know, these one, two or three under your belt, you start to learn and then you discover something new like syndication or multifamily and you're like, how can I get in there? How can I scale? How can I jump up? And, sure. you know, the average person can do that. It's not just the multimillionaire not millionaires out there that can do it themselves. Yeah, do they? Exactly. Yes. But, you know, a lot of average people that come together or so we speak average, you know, I think we're above average when we're doing this kind right. of stuff. We're not the average exactly. Joe. Um, and Michael Blanc's book, you know, same thing. When I got that, I didn't really know too much about multifamily. I knew small multifamily, but not the large. And I jumped into it. So touch a little bit about, um, we'll go to your deal in a few minutes. We'll talk about that. Cause I definitely want to touch on that, but talk to us about the mentor. You, you said, you, you know, you went through with a mentorship is what it sounded like. And that really excelled your thinking and your, uh, success as well. Talk a little bit about that. You don't have to mention who it is.
0: Yeah, I've had a few different mentors that I still work with today. Um, But yeah, I mean, the mentor is really good to have somebody on your team like that. Um, I mean, as you know, like when you're starting out from, you know, basically nothing from just having, you know, a single family house, but then switch gears, you're going out looking for, um, you know, 100 plus unit complexes, you're reaching out to brokers, and things like that. And you don't have the track record or the credibility to kind of back up what you're saying or what you're trying to do. So having a mentor, you know, having somebody that you can kind of leverage their, their own network, um, their experience, their track record, um, you know, you can reach out to brokers and say, you know, I'm partnering with um, this guy, he's active in these markets, he owns this many multifamily units. Um, So that was a game changer, at least having, um, you know, a mentor like that to look over my shoulder um, and, uh, you know, provide his experience, um, his feedback when we're underwriting deals, looking at things like that. Um, so that's, that's definitely a game changer. I, I would highly recommend, you know, mentors to kind of accelerate your growth and make sure you're doing everything you're right on, on the, on the first deal. Yeah. And speaking of like a
1: mentor like that, how are you able to get on a mentor's team? Really? How are you able to, you know, take down a deal with this mentor, convince them to allow you on the deal. If it was your mentor, the deal you're on or a different group.
0: There's a couple of ways to get involved with. I, I'll, I'll try and answer your question, um, but I mean to get involved with the mentor. I guess there's a couple of different ways of approaching that. Um, I mean, one, you can look to add value to somebody a lot more experienced than you that has maybe the same kind of goals. Um, for example, if they're interested in investing in a market that you're in, um, I mean maybe you know be active and start looking for deals. Send them deals, underwrite deals for them. Um, drive properties for them and just look for ways to add value to their business. And then there's ways, I mean, just going down the route of a, you know, traditional paid mentoring program. And that's the one that I did. Um, And there's, there's many out there. They're all great, but I would just, you know, advise, do your own due diligence and look for a mentor that is experienced and really active and that has, you know, the same kind of goals that, that you have.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. Now, this 236 unit, you guys just closed on last month. So that was the eastern part of North Carolina, correct? Correct. Okay, awesome. So talk to us a little bit how you got involved with that. How were you able to you know get on with these co-GPs that were able to take down this big deal? I mean, 236 for your first deal, that's a big deal. Most people are pulling out you know 20 units, 30 units. Talk to us about that.
0: Yeah, well, like I mentioned, I mean, definitely had a great team behind me and would not have been possible without having a team like that. Um, so I partnered with a couple of other um, people from the Think Multifamily Group, and I was able to come in, um, help out with the underwriting, help out raising capital, and now I'm participating in some of the asset management moving forward. Awesome. I love that. And
1: how did you guys end up finding
0: that deal? Was that
1: someone else in the group? Did you find that yourself?
0: Uh, yeah. Somebody else Somebody else actually in the group found it. It was an on-market deal from Cushman and Wakefield, nice. um, located in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Went through a couple of different rounds, uh, best and final, and we were awarded the deal.
1: That's great. And what about this deal? So was this? I'm assuming this was a value add deal.
0: Correct. Yeah, pretty much a traditional value add opportunity. Um, I'm pretty sure the previous um, the previous owner had it when it was distressed and kind of got it stabilized. Um, didn't really do a whole lot of value add to it. Um, pretty much just you just leased it up and left a lot of meat left on the bone for the next buyer. Um, so our, our game plan on it right now, and like I mentioned, it just closed last month is to, um, do the traditional value add route. So we're, um, you know, renovating the interior of the units, um, adding a lot of the amenities for the, there's pretty much no amenities on the property right now. So we're adding amenities, um, dog park, um, barbecue area out front, um, converting a couple of down units into a leasing office and Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much all, you know, the game plan, six year hold. And I, would, I was just on an asset management call today, actually, we're kind of um, getting in line with what we want to do with the interior renovations and picking out some different colors and, and finishes. So it's been it's been great.
1: Awesome. I like it. It's got to be exciting, you know, being on that asset management team, just being able to learn from these experienced individuals as well. Yeah, for sure. Now, for a deal like this, uh, what did you guys do as far as lending? Was because it was stabilized, were you able to use agency lending? Did you have to go with the bridge debt? What did you guys do there?
0: We did not go the agency. We went and got our bridge loan. And that really helped out with our returns. And you know, we were able to um, just add in all of the, the CapEx and everything into the bridge loan. So that helped out with the returns a lot and made a lot more sense to go with the, the bridge loan. Awesome.
1: I like that as well. Now you're with Merchants Capital, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Why don't you touch on that and tell uh, the listeners what is Merchants Capital and what are you doing for them?
0: So aside from multifamily investing, I'm still working a W-2 full-time job and I work as a commercial multifamily underwriter um, for this lender in Indiana. So Merchants Capital focuses on uh, bridge lending. So we do a ton of bridge to HUD and a little bit of a bridge to GSE. Um, that's what we focus on. We, um, don't hold anything long-term, um, just focus on providing bridge, bridge loans and, um, getting out within a couple of years.
1: Awesome. I like that. I mean, that definitely helps, you know, your W2 is directly correlated to what you're really looking to do and what you're growing to do, which really helps, you know, like yeah, myself, exactly. you know, being a broker, even though I'm not in the market that I want to be in, or I, I'm not a broker in the market that I want to invest in. I still understand how it works and, you know, same thing for you now for that bridge that you guys did on this project did you use yourself or did you guys actually go with someone else unfortunately no yeah we went with
0: somebody else oh geez <laughs> no that we typically that's do a- uh recourse uh okay. bridge lending and that's something um, that the kps on this deal did not want to do
1: okay so they wanted to non-recourse of course yep um talk to us real quick about like the really people know what bridge that is but for those listeners that don't understand what bridge debt is. Why don't you talk about that real quick and the different aspects it has versus other lending topics?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I guess you can think of it um, as a way of maybe, I guess like the best way to think of it is just like, it's a hard money loan for commercial properties. So when a property, um, you know, may not qualify for agency debt or like in our situation, we wanted to, you know, wrap a lot of the expenses or a lot of the capex into a loan um, bridge debt can allow you to do that. So it's, it's short-term financing, usually at a higher interest rate to, you know, account for more of the risk of the deal. And so with a bridge lender, you're getting a short-term loan, um, usually two to three years, and then you're refinancing out of that and going into something like a GSE or a HUD loan. Um, so like when I, you know, the, a lot of deals that we do, um, HUD debt and with how, you know, interest rates are extremely low right now. Um, HUD 223F program has been, you know, a really valuable and desirable program. Um, So the thing about HUD debt and why bridge lending can come into play with this is that, you know, HUD, when you go, when the borrower goes to HUD, it can be a six, eight month application process. So you can't just buy a property day one and then next day go into HUD. So a lot of borrowers will will acquire um, the property today, um, get bridge debt on it, and then, you know, um, start working on the application process to HUD and then refinance out of that. Um, bridge that and, and then have that long-term financing.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, the HUD program is phenomenal and you know, you have that, is it 35 years and 40 on new construction? It's 35
0: um, amortization and, and term.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I mean, that's huge. Like agency financing for those that don't, don't understand the amortization schedule mirrors a 30 year amortization. Where HUD is 35. So now that you're spreading that out longer, the cash flow is going to be better. And if you plan on holding that for a decent chunk of time, you can lock in that super low rate. You know, we're seeing historical lows. And, you know, Justin was saying it takes six to eight, sometimes even 12 months to, uh, you know, once you apply for the HUD and to go through the whole process until they actually lend on the property. So the bridge exactly. debt's great because you know, most sellers aren't going to want to put their contract, their property under contract for six to eight months. It's not a thing, you know, 60 days, 90 days, that's it. So with this bridge loan, it basically bridges the gap to allow you to, you know, take control of the asset, put it under contract, close on it, you know, maybe do a little bit more stabilization and then get it to that HUD loan. Um, You know, for example, this one project we're working on. So a good group We know that we're good friends with, have built a relationship with. They put an eighty unit under contract in East Charlotte, and we got invited to come on the deal with them, uh, assist with capital raising, asset management, and so we're looking at the deal, and they're actually using bridge debt, even though it's over ninety percent and it's stabilized. So the reason why they're using bridge debt is because uh, a lot of times agency lending will have what's called ninety for ninety, so ninety percent occupancy for at least ninety days previous or more. And this property didn't have it. It just hit stabilization because uh, it was actually going through uh, major upgrades. So we had to use the bridge debt in order to, uh, you know, secure this property. And the bridge debt is kind of interesting on this project because it's for five years instead of the typical twenty-four to thirty-six months. And it's not loan to cost; it's loan to value. So we still have okay. to come up with that twenty-five percent down payment of the actual acquisition price. Then. Whatever we have for renovations and closing costs, we're also coming up with, and uh, it, it's a little bit of a higher rate because it's five years and there's no prepayment penalty, and if it's not loan to cost. So, okay. uh, Justin, do you want to touch on loan to cost versus loan to value a little bit?
0: Yeah, loan to loan to value is just um, you know what your lender is giving you on the loan is basically the amount of equity that you're going to put in the deal. Um, typical loan to value is going to be seventy five percent right now. So the bank is going to lend 75% of the costs. Um, the borrower is going to come in for the 25%. Loan costs is mainly more for the bridge loaning, originally like Dante touched on. Um, basically the, the cost, everything that you need, um, the purchase price, CapEx, is all, all, all going to be like rolled up into a loan. And then the bank is going to lend 75% of, of the cost.
1: Exactly, yeah. So like for this project, you know, it's a 9.25 million purchase price. Uh, Plus, like two fifty in renovations and whatever it was in closing costs. You know, it's a total of like three point five million we're bringing to the table because it's loan to value bridge. If it was loan to cost, we'd only be bringing like two point five, two point six to the table, which will increase your returns across the board because you're bringing less equity to the table at the end of the day. So that's always interesting. It's kind of cool. We got to chat about bridge debt a little bit. I got to throw it in there. Your W two. How long have you been with Merchants Capital for? A little over a year now. Okay, awesome. Any enjoying that? Yeah,
0: it's been a great experience.
1: Awesome. I love it. Uh, So, kind of heading back to that deal that we were talking about that you did uh, for 236 units, you ended up going with bridge debt on it. What are you guys uh, projecting as far as returns on this project?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. We are projecting a 16% cash on cash, a total return of 101%. And then an IRR of sixteen point five percent.
1: Yeah, those are great numbers. And uh, was this a twenty four or thirty six month on the bridge debt?
0: Twenty four.
1: Okay. And when you guys go to refinance, will you do it into uh, Freddie Fannie or one of the agency programs? Okay. Awesome. Um, And why Freddie versus Fannie? Did it just have more favorable terms for you guys, as far as cost goes, or where's
0: that? Um, I, I think so. Yeah, I'm not too. Familiar with, um, you know, like the exact differences between Freddie and Fanny, but I, right. I think you know the Freddie worked out for us in this situation.
1: Awesome, I love it. Now, this deal was over in North Carolina. You said you're actively looking in more. It sounded like the Midwest. Is that correct?
0: Midwest, and then yeah, still, still North Carolina, like that market as well.
1: Okay, so for places like Indianapolis, Ohio, I believe you said, and Kentucky,
0: correct? Uh, mainly, yeah, Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and then yeah, North Carolina also.
1: Okay, now, what characteristics do those markets have that you are really attracting you to those markets?
0: So that's a great question. Um, you know, definitely the Midwest markets have been really stable. I mean, even be you know before COVID, um, really stable, affordable markets. Um, you know, I know a lot about Indianapolis. You know, cap rates are compressing here every year. Uh, we have a you know a lot of good job growth, population growth. And all in all, it's just like, an also like, you know, really like cool city to live in. Um, I mean, I've been here my whole life. It's always been a nice place to live. And we have a lot of major employers coming to Indiana. Um, I know recently Apple is opening up a distribution center. Amazon's coming here. Um, Through COVID, you know, it was a really stable market. Um, You know, we still had borrowers in Indianapolis doing value add strategies through COVID, achieving rent premiums through COVID. Um, so it's definitely a, a, a desirable market that I like a lot.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, those are good characteristics and stress tests, so to speak, is how to do through COVID because a lot of places hurt pretty bad through COVID. You know, some of them actually excelled and did better. Um, yeah. And it was funny. I was just listening to, I think it was multifamily takeoff and they had someone on the show that was talking about those markets and how they, you know, they've made a killing in them and they've just brought their friends in those markets because they've done a really good job. So I like that. And Something else I want to touch on, you know, Facebook group, next level equity, all that. So what's, what's the goal for the Facebook group? And you want to talk a little bit about that and then next level equity.
0: Yeah, I started a Facebook group, um, about four months ago now, it's called U S department syndications and really just wanted to create this group. I mean, one is stay in touch with a lot of people. Um, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, you're doing the same as well, but you know, tons of networking, always talking to different people. Exactly. So a Facebook group is a great way to just kind of have everybody in there, stay in touch with people and really just to add value. So I really um, like, you know, all the stuff that I've learned from my mentors, or I might see an article that I read that was helpful, or something that I'm, I'm working on, and maybe a second opinion on. But you know, Facebook's been great. And starting a group like that just to kind of, you know, stay top of mind to people, um, pass down things that I'm learning or things that may be helping me and just meeting new people. So it's been it's been great. Yeah. And, and building that network, like you said, you know, some people to fall back on in case
1: you, you're looking for feedback. Hey, you know, what do you guys think of this? You know, you're getting a lot of feedback. I mean, how many people are in that group now?
0: Over 850 in, in four yeah. months.
1: I mean, that's great. You're, you're talking yeah. 850 <laughs> individuals who uh, like multifamily, like the content you're putting out there and they're sticking around because it's good stuff. So I, I think that's yeah, pretty exactly. cool. And then uh, what about uh, next level equity? Talk to us a little bit about that as well.
0: Yeah. Next level equity is the company that I created. Um, So like I mentioned, uh, we're, you know, really interested in Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, and North Carolina. So that's just the LLC that I created and the company that kind of built my brand around.
1: Awesome. I love that as well. I get your newsletters. I always see like helpful info you're putting in there too. So that's great. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Anything else you want to touch on before we head to our uh, next section of the show? Uh, No, go ahead. All right, cool. So we're going to head over to the section of the show called The Curious Cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you that we ask each guest and we'll get your feedback. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. Uh, Question number one we have is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to?
0: Favorite podcast is probably uh, Rod Cleef's podcast. Uh, I really like it because he adds, you know, has like a lot of great guests on there that, you know, kind of sticks away from the fluff, just gets down to the nitty gritty. Yep. Um, interviews a variety of people. I mean, real estate mindset. Um, so it touches on a lot of different topics. And Rockleaf's great. I mean, delivers a, a ton of great value every day. Um, so I, I've I've been I've been listening to his podcast for you know a couple of years now.
1: Yeah, I've been listening to that as well. It like you said, gets rid of all the fluff and just gets right down to it. I like it. Favorite book you enjoy reading?
0: Uh. I like a lot of mindset books. I like a lot of entrepreneur type books. I mean, I already mentioned uh, Michael Blanc's book that was, you know, it's definitely one of my favorite reads. Um, I'll touch on another one. And that's the best ever book by Joe Fairless. And that's, uh, you know, just definitely the the multifamily syndication Bible. Um, so yep. the, the title really lives up to its name. And, you know, he uh, delivers a ton of value and it really tells you A to Z how to walk through and, and complete a syndication. So can't say enough, you know, enough good things about that book.
1: Yeah. I mean, just again, a phenomenal book. I I keep it very close next to me because I just, you know, I'm always highlighting, underlining. And, you know, if I ever have, you know, questions, usually the answer to them is in there and I can just check it out. So that's a great resource for people that are looking to get into that. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to
0: overcome? Biggest hurdle is definitely the the mindset approach yeah. or, or piece, like I, like I just mentioned. But, you know, like when I was um, starting out and I would listen to you know, like my coaches or the podcast or like go to events and somebody starts talking about, you know, the first thing, how to be successful in real estate, where to start, it's mindset. Yeah. And, you know, like when I was starting out, I was like, all right, you know, get past this, tell me how to start closing a deal, tell me what to do. You know, I don't want to listen to, you know, some of this fluff, but it really is mindset. So the thing about, you know, in real estate and like I already mentioned, but, you know, it's a really tough market, really competitive and it takes a ton of persistence and you may be working at this for you know a couple of years and feel like you're not making progress but on the back end you're making a ton of progress, you're meeting new people, you're learning from your mistakes And so I would just you know really start with your mindset you know believe in yourself and commit to the goal and at the timeline. It may take you longer than expected but you know in the end just commit to the goal.
1: Yeah I mean that's that's so true. you know there's days where you just you just got to keep pushing along because you're looking at deals, you're underwriting deals, you're getting outbid, you're putting in offers. It's a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's competitive, but it's, it's a numbers game. You just got to keep sticking with it and keep doing it. Eventually something's going to stick to keep throwing it at the wall. I agree. Favorite non-real estate related hobby. So in your free time, what do you enjoy doing?
0: Uh, I can't say I enjoy it, but one thing (laughs) I'm getting back into is running Okay. So again, on the mindset piece, I'm a really uh, avid listener and follower of David Goggins. Yep. And he's a big proponent of, you know, um, doing things that you hate every day to, you know, not only increase your, you know, your health and your fitness, but, you know, strengthen your mindset. So running is something that I hate, but I'm trying to do it more and more and make myself do it. And at the end, you know, when I'm, when I'm done, I feel, you know, a lot better and also helps my mindset. and makes me stronger.
1: Yeah, it's so true. And David Goggins, a good example of that. I mean, if anyone's you know read his book or listened to him, he does a phenomenal job. Great book as well. <laughs> yep, it is. Newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to, you know, get started in what you're doing?
0: Yeah, aside from the mindset piece and, you know, really just believing yourself and staying persistent, I would recommend um, starting a thought leadership platform. Mm-hmm. And it's like what I mean by that is starting a podcast, starting a Facebook group, um, sending out a newsletter, and really with the whole you know goal to not only you know meet people, um, network with people, but stay top of mind to people. So people are going to see you active on social media every day. You're going to stay top of mind. Um, you know when it, when a deal comes around or when an opportunity comes around, you're going to have a lot more people willing to partner with you and work with you because you're going to seem serious. They're going to see that you're dedicated yep. and, you know, investors want to see that you're active, you know, every week. Um, you know, if you came across a deal and you know it's the best deal ever, you need investors, you need partners for it. But say nobody's seen you active, nobody's talked to you in eight months. You know, they, they're probably not going to partner with you. It's not going to end up well. So um, be active on social media, get a thought leadership platform and just keep on networking.
1: Exactly. I mean, when you're going out on tours, touring properties, you know, take videos of it, take a picture of it, show people you're out in the trenches doing the work. Something. I mean, same thing on the brokerage side. Every time I get a new listing, I throw it on there. Every time we accept an offer, I, you know, put out how many offers we got accepted on it and, or how many offers came in, you know, just showing people that success and how active you are. I think it's very important. So definitely. Exactly. And uh, Justin, if someone wants to get in contact with you, get on your list or, you know, get, check out the newsletter, Facebook group, all that fun stuff where can someone get in contact with you?
0: Yeah. So you can go to Facebook. Um, the, the Facebook group is U.S. Department Syndications. And also I created a really great um, seven-day email course about passive investing. And I, you know, it's totally free. You can go to my website at nextlevelequity.com slash free course, and it'll send you an automated seven-day email course, um, tell you about all the benefits of passively investing and exactly how to get started.
1: Awesome. I love it. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show this evening. And we uh, appreciate your time.
0: Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.